coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co-host, Curtis. And despite an ugly first half, the Georgia Bulldogs have moved to 3-0 on the season and have done their part to make next weekend's matchup with the Alabama Crimson Tide the biggest game of the young season as the only two remaining undefeated teams in the SEC are set for a primetime battle at Bryant-Denny Stadium next Saturday night. We are all pumped for that one. But we got the rest of the week to break down that matchup from every conceivable angle. Trust me, guys, we'll have you covered all week long. But today on the show, we're going to dissect Georgia's latest three-touchdown win over the Tennessee Volunteers. Over the last four years, the Dogs have now beaten Tennessee by a combined score of 166-37 to and outgained them over that same span, 1,776 yards for the good guys, to 908 yards for the Vols, nearly doubled them up in the last four years. And the Vol for lifers and many of the national media, like they thought they had closed the gap, but yeah, not so much. That was pretty clear after Saturday's game. But Curtis, we still have to admit, it was too close for comfort in that first half. And we actually went into the half down 21-17 after being stuffed at the one-yard line just before the half. That sucked. But the second half was an entirely different story. Tennessee only managed 214 yards the entire game, but we held them to 14 total yards in the second half up until the very last drive of the game when we were pretty much just kind of emptying out the bench at that point defensively. But we still managed to hold them to only 56 total yards in the second half, complete domination in route to outscoring them 27-0 in that second half. So in a lot of ways, this was a story of two halves of football, Curtis. So how were we able to turn things around in the second half like we did? Um, Well, in the first half, the big thing defensively is, if you look at it, we just gave up the big play, which, you know, is definitely a staple against what Kirby Smart likes to allow. You know, his defense is his thing is he's someone that wants to make you go the entire field and make every play perfectly to, to score. And if you take out those two big plays, their offense did absolutely nothing against us, realistically. Outside of that, they did not move the ball well. They didn't sustain drives. So, yeah, the, those two big plays killed us and put us behind the eight ball, especially when you throw in the bad snap. But if you just take those out, you look at the whole body of work, and what you saw in the second half was kind of what you saw in the first half. We, You know, there just wasn't the big plays. And I think that was the big difference is we didn't give up the big plays. And we, I think in the second half too, especially when the big plays happened, we didn't get much pressure. I felt like Garantano had too much time back there and throw. So that was the big difference in the second half too, is we just completely suffocated him and hounded him the entire time and gave him no chance to throw the ball downfield to make something happen. Yeah, I agree with what you said there to open up. I, I totally agree that we gave them just about everything they got in the first half. Obviously the touchdown, on the horrible snap by Trey Hill. Who saw that coming, huh? Oh, never seen that before. Really? And we've, yeah, we've been waiting for it to really kill us. And it didn't kill us in this game, but it certainly got us off on the wrong foot. But we gave them that. We uh, get stopped on a fourth and fourth and one from our own 36, and they go right next play. 
trying to keep the momentum. We see this every time after a turnover, you go for the big play, they get the touchdown over DJ Daniel. And then I would say like the touchdown pass to to Palmer against Campbell, that was just an incredible pass, incredible catch, just great execution on their part. You just got to give them that. So that was, that was, yeah, I mean, because they, I mean, Campbell played that perfectly. I mean, he literally gave Palmer no space. I mean, everything had to be perfect and they made that play. Yeah, and sometimes, and Kirby said this in his post-game press conference, sometimes the other team just makes plays. It's true. We don't want to admit that, but sometimes the other team just makes plays. They recruit really good players, too, and those guys just happen to make a play there. So we didn't give them that one. They they went out and earned that. But most of what they got in the first half, we pretty much just gave them. And, look, we just didn't execute on offense. That was, to me, in the second half, I thought the defense played really well in the first half, just like they did in the second half. And maybe they turned it up a notch in the second half, but it was more about the offense, to me, in the second half. We just executed more on offense. We weren't a well-oiled machine still by any stretch of the imagination, but we, we played better on that, on that side of the ball. We didn't give them easy scores, allow them to kind of set up those scores and, and stay in the game. Enforcing turnovers was massive. Just, at, I mean, the defense, I would say that the one thing that they really did, did the second half was just find a way to force those turnovers that really changed the game. Now I'd like to see our offense be able to capitalize more on that. I'm glad we got the two field goals coming out of the half off those two quick turnovers, but I would like to, the, like, I guess Alabama, those field goals can be touchdowns. Like if we want to have a chance to win those games, those have to be touchdowns. Now, schematically, like we did do some things a little bit differently in the second half. Schematically, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, we played a lot more cloud coverage, which is like a variation of cover three. We played some more cover two after they beat us deep on the two balls in the first half, which makes sense. I think what they realized was like, hey, we have no chance to run it. Uh, I think our, our coaches realized that, hey, they realize they can't run also. They're going to they're gonna try to throw these balls on the field, get some 50-50 opportunities when we're playing this man bump and run coverage. And you know what? They won a couple in the first half. So if that's the only way that they're going to find a way to move the ball on us and, and get some scores on this defense, then why even give them the chance to do that? Well, so, and, yeah, like you mentioned, they're – you know, especially the t- the second touchdown, the Palmer, it was just that one-on-one bump and run with no safety over the top help. So when we went to that cloud coverage, you know, it, we always we kept the safety up top to help and kind of took it up because they were going to be throwing in the double coverage at that situation. We weren't going to give them that one-on-one, that chance to make a play. Yeah, we were pretty much playing man-free in the first half. The, not, not the entire first half, but a large portion of the first half we were playing man-free, which is basically one deep safety when you're playing man, man underneath that on everybody else. Our corners are good enough to do that. But when you do that, you also take the chance. You're going to have a quarterback and a receiver. I've I've been on record saying I think Guarantano is a a good deep ball passer. I think he's a better quarterback than he gets credit for. Now, he has has the self-destructive gene, which we saw in the second half. He has that in him. Now, we forced some of that, but he has that gene in him. But he can make some plays down the field. And Palmer's a good SEC receiver. He's a true number one guy. Not an elite receiver, but still a good SEC number one receiver. And And they just made a great play. So why even give them the possibility to do that? play some cloud coverage at cover three, throw some cover two looks in there, and just take that possibility away from them. And that's what we did. We were able to, you know, obviously we were suffocating the run the entire game. So when you take those deep ball possibilities away from them, and you just suffocate their entire offense and they can't do anything. That's exactly what we saw in the second half. But all right, Kurt, we've got to talk about Stetson Bennett. We can't seemingly get through an episode these days without talking about the mailman. Uh, he's become a very popular topic in the questions we get from listeners, and this week is no different. So it was his third straight 200-plus yard effort, second consecutive game with over eight yards per attempt, making some plays with his leg like he has since he first got in the game against Arkansas. And, Kurt, I know you had some reservations about Stetson after the Arkansas game, I think understandably so, but now after three games, had Stetson Bennett made a believer out of you? I mean, I'm on the Stetson train, don't get me wrong, but I thought this was the first time he really looked human, honestly. 
Um, you know, when teams started doing getting some pressure on things like that with him and he didn't have that clean pocket, he looked like a more human quarterback. Now, I know you can say that for any quarterback out there, uh, but I definitely saw him. His decision making wasn't as crisp as I thought. I mean, just like that touchdown pass, he waited too long and that window was almost gone. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that thrown a little bit earlier. That's a good exactly. Point. And that's the biggest thing is I thought I just thought his decision making wasn't as crisp to the point where sometimes he almost missed the opportunity. You know, some of these deep balls once again were a little underthrown, which kind of helped, especially with the one with George where he gets the pass interference and things like that. But or and just like that one that should have been a pick, that was a, a not a very well thrown ball. Well, um, that was a terrible decision, and it was it, it hung up there in the air. It was not a well thrown ball, bad decision. That was a that was a very poor play. On yeah, and, and that's my whole thing is like he made some good plays. Don't get me wrong, like you know scrambling on that third down to get the first down, and then the very next play taking in for a touchdown on that run with a nice run. So he did do some good things. I mean, someone who's this is realistically his second game starting. Now he did do good things and made some good plays, but I thought for once he was looking human, and you could see the lack of experience truly with the SEC play. Yeah, and we keep saying that, right? Like every game we're playing a better defense. Like this is going to be a defense that's going to that's going to give us issues because Stetson's not going to be able to manage it against a better defense. I do think Tennessee's defense is the best defense that we played to date. Especially, I mean, let's be honest, that Henry Toa Toa completely dominated the game. I thought for the most part, and so I mean, their defense was really good. And I and Pruitt is a great defense of mine. I may think he's a dirtbag person, but the guy knows defenses. And um, you know, they gave they gave him some different looks, and I thought you know he just looked human. It's the best way I can put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he did look human. But I also say while he did look human at times in that game, there were moments where that's true. I don't think he looked overwhelmed. No, I, I don't ever think he was overwhelmed. Like if you go back to the first game with Mathis where things may have been going too fast. I think it was just it wasn't as crisp where that, you know, he knew right away that one read was there and he was going there. Because there were times, I don't know if he was specifically told to throw to certain people, but there were times where other people were open on the other side of the field, like check downs and things like that that – he kind of went in, through it into coverage when the other people were wide open. Yeah, it's tough to know with the progressions and what he sort of looked at. That's always tough to know. But there, there were things that, 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 that were out there, certainly, that he did, maybe didn't see, maybe didn't get to that progression or to that read in his progression. It's just tough to know what the progression is on any given play. It's just tough to know. Um, so you mentioned the deep ball passing and, and the idea that he's still kind of leaving it up in the air. Do you think that our offense is limited under Stetson Bennett? Are there things that we cannot access in our playbook because Stetson Bennett maybe doesn't have the arm to do some of the things that Todd Munkin wants to do? I'm going to be honest. I think that is the case. I mean, th- some of these deep balls, I mean, you sometimes you just want to make them afraid, you know, because with Stetson, teams are going to start sitting on these intermediate routes because that's what he's comfortable doing. Um, you know, go back to Arkansas. We tried one deep ball, and it wasn't completed. But, you know, we tried to bring it out and scare them, you know, show them we could do it. And, you know, he completed that one last week to Kiaris and things like that. But, I do think it limits us in our deep ball capability. I mean, think about it. Where we have one-on-one coverage with uh, Darnell Washington out there on a DB, and he threw a terrible ball. Some like with Darnell, you need to throw a ball up that where he can only get in. We got a pass interference on Dar- Darnell because he's almost having to play defense because the ball was just so poorly thrown. This is completely off topic. Did you bring that up? Did you really think that was offensive pass interference not call? I thought it was an incredibly weak call. I thought it was a weak call, but realistically, it sh- it should never have come to that. No, it shouldn't have. I just thought I just I don't know, that's completely off top. I just thought, I, that was I thought it was a weak call. call. I mean, I think it could I mean you could have thrown it, but I've seen I, to I, me, that I, I don't know. Good. I thought it was it, that was down in down out hand fighting. That's what you see every Yeah, I thought it was hand fighting. Maybe it's because Darnell's so much bigger and stronger big, than they yeah. said, Oh, yeah. You know, 
through that, may use that as the excuse. I thought it could have easily been a no call. Don't get me wrong, but even then, it was a wasted opportunity because when you had that type of guy being covered by someone like that, you throw the ball up and you let your tight, your big, gigantic, grown man tight and go up and get the ball. We just didn't do it. Agreed. And I do also like the fact that we had Darnell Washington split out one-on-one as essentially a wide receiver matched up on a cornerback. And that's just an example of some of the things that we're doing formationally with Todd Munkin to create favorable matchups that maybe we haven't seen our coordinators do in the recent past. See, that's the thing too. Something that we're seeing with Monken, he's doing a good job of getting people open and you know and drawing up these matchups. But you've got to capitalize on them. Absolutely. And going back to Stetson, like I, I will say I, I've been very pleased with how Stetson Bennett has played. He takes care of the ball. He does smart things, which you love, and like it gives you a chance. Like that one that should have been picked. We're lucky it didn't. But in the end, we got a touchdown because it didn't happen. So, like, you as long as you don't have those turnovers, you give yourself a chance. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I, I do have questions about his ability to take the top off of a defense because we just haven't seen him do it yet. I mean, and, and that that doesn't mean he cannot do it. We just haven't seen him do it yet through two and a half games. We only really played half the first game. So I, I, maybe it's because we haven't had to. I don't know. But I will say when he's tried to throw the ball vertically down the field, like he can throw the ball 50, 60 yards in the air. It's not that he can't throw the ball down the field like that. He just doesn't throw it down the field with any sort of zip at all. And the ball does kind of tend yeah, it to floats like, the, like, like what you're talking about when the one that should have been picked, it was just floating. Yeah, it just hangs. And even the deep ball that we completed to Kieris against Auburn last week, it, it, nice play by Kieris. Yes, he put the ball in a position where Kieris can make a play. That's great. But that ball kind of hung in the air. And that if I mean there's a if the DB gets his head around, potentially that could be an interception. So look, I, I, again, I'm, I don't know that he can't do it. I, I can't sit here and say Stetson Bennett cannot do it. I just all I can say is that we haven't seen it from him. So until I see it, I'm gonna continue to have at least some doubts in the back of my mind that we might be limited on what we're doing from an offensive standpoint because we don't trust the quarterback to consistently be able to take the top of a defense. And again, I don't know that's true. It's just something that I need to see him do before those doubts are squashed completely. I, I, and and I, I know it's an, it's an easy, lazy thing to say, oh, he's a small guy. Yeah, he's under-recruited. He didn't have a scholarship coming out of high school. I, I get all that. It's easy to say, well, it's because he doesn't have an arm. I know that's easy to say. So I'm not sitting here saying it's impossible. I think his arm is plenty good enough to do everything we need him to do with the formula that we're trying to use to win. But I think it's fair to say there's still some questions on his ability to take the top off of the defense. You go back to Fromm, that was the biggest thing is, you know, he really couldn't keep teams honest either with the deep ball because he was so inaccurate that a lot of teams kind of took away the intermediate route knowing that's what he was comfortable doing. Yeah, absolutely. And in in terms of is, do I believe in Seth Bennett? I think as long as we continue to use the same formula that we've used the past, what, three, four or five years now with Kirby Smart – then yeah, I, I believe in that's a minute because I've made it clear since the Arkansas game. I think the similarities between him and Jake Fromm in terms of their strengths are, are, are striking, to be honest with you. But the formula is going to depend on a strong running game, which right now I don't think that we have. We, we're running it fine, I guess, but not like we need to for that formula to really work at an optimum level. But I think he can do everything that Jake Fromm was able to do with that formula and maybe even a little bit more with his athleticism. I mean, he's making some plays that Jake Fromm could never have dreamed of making. And in some ways, and I know this sounds blasphemous coming from the former president of the Jake Fromm fan club, but Curtis, is it really that much of a stretch to say that Stetson Bennett actually might give us a little bit better of a chance than Jake Fromm did? Yeah, you and I were actually texting about this tonight, at, uh, you know, Saturday night after the game. And 
I kind of agree with it. Like Jake doesn't do anything, spe- you know, that that Stetson can't do. Yeah, exactly. Like if you compare the two, there's nothing that separates them all that much. That if you actually look at it, Stetson, the one thing that he has that Jake has didn't have was just the mobility. Like that third down where Stetson ran for it. Realistically, that's a sack on Jake because Jake doesn't have the legs to get you know to recognize. I mean, he may have recognized it, but he didn't have the legs to get you know do anything about it. Where Stetson was able to scramble, get that first down, and just like that touchdown run, you know he bounces it outside, makes a really nice cut, and gets outside, and dives for the end zone. I mean, that's actually the big difference. And I mean, it's not like Stetson's a dual threat quarterback. That's you know you're gonna do quarterback draws, quarterback powers all the time, and expect him to be successful like a Cam Newton or someone like that. But he's just mobile enough and agile enough to, you know, give you, a, you know, extend plays even in the backfield, you know, rolling out and giving you time, giving you time that has actually helped our offense more so. Yeah, I agree. He also throws really well on the run. Not only can he escape the pressure in a way that Fromm never could, but he also throws a lot yeah, better Fromm on the run than Fromm ever well. did. Fromm could not throw well on the run. Yeah, he just he he throws a lot better on the run than Fromm could ever dream of. That that's just the bottom line. So look, and look, I I still think Jay Fromm is really good for us. I think he was the right quarterback in the, in the offense, the scheme, the system that we were running. But I think Stetson might actually give us a little bit more in, ter- in terms of his athleticism. I think it's very comparable in his ability to understand what defenses are trying to do from a coverage standpoint. I think actually he might be a little bit more accurate than Jake. To be honest, even on the, in, on the uh, short intermediate stuff, like Stetson puts the ball on the money where guys can catch it and continue to run. And Jake did struggle with that at times. It wasn't a major issue, but there were times where Jake would put a ball out there and it didn't quite hit the guy in stride where he can, get, where he can continue to run and make a play after the catch. I mean, that, that, the pass to Trey McKitty, uh, that, that, was, that was a huge ball right before the half. One over the middle. That was a great throw. It was an incredible throw. I mean, and that, that should have set up a touchdown that would, that would have allowed us to take the lead going into halftime. But, I mean, he puts the ball on the money, in stride, allows McKinney to continue to try to run, tries to throw a little stiff arm at the Tennessee DB's head. Uh, but, I mean, it's things like that that Stetson does really well right now. And I don't see any reason why that's going to change. Now, he might not be able to take the top off the defense consistently. I, I think the jury's still out on that one. I don't know if we have a definitive answer to that. But what we do have a definitive answer to is the guy moves really well. He can throw well on the run. He throws an incredibly catchable ball. He throws it in a, in a, in a way that – our, our playmakers can actually catch the ball and continue to run and make plays after the catch. So I actually think I, you can make a strong argument that we actually maybe a little bit better at quarterback with Stetson Bennett as opposed to Jake Fromm, which is crazy to say. He was the backup, the former walk-on that was running the scout team in 2017. But I, I think you can make that argument. So, yeah, I think that I, I do believe in Stetson. I think that we can continue to win with him. It's just really – it matters. Like, more than anything, it's not so much about him. It's about what, if we're going to use the formula that we've been using, what matters is the people around him. Stetson can keep doing what he's doing, but unless we start blocking better, unless we start running the football better, unless some of the guys out wide, some of the young wide receivers start to step up and, and the game starts to slow down for them. When we play teams like Alabama and Florida, well, Florida's defense is oof, oof, tough right now. Uh, but that might become more of an issue against some of those better teams on our schedule, you know, down the road a little bit. Because right now, I just the, the offense is not functioning like it needs to. I think Stetson is functioning well. But the rest of the players around him, right now, they're not there. They're not there. But we'll get to that a little bit later on this show. But, Kerr, I want to get to this. we got to get to this. The big storyline, the big talking point about this Tennessee team all offseason, of course, was their vaunted offensive line. I know you guys can't see me, but I'm doing the finger quotes here. The vaunted Tennessee offensive line. And, guys, look, I did. I I did my best to dispel this during the offseason. And, again, last week, I told you guys. I told you this was a game 
that would be won and lost on the line of scrimmage because both teams are built the same way. But despite what you are hearing out there from the national media, I thought it was a mismatch in favor of our defensive line. I thought they would be able to control the game. And I thought our offensive line versus their defensive line would at worst be a wash, which I think is pretty much exactly how it turned out. We held them to a whopping minus one yard rushing on 27 attempts, managed to get five sacks on the day. Kurt, was that domination more about our defensive line or the Tennessee offensive line? I think it's our defensive line because, I mean, their offensive line had been dominating everyone they played so far this year. I know it's only South Carolina – in Mizzou, but South Carolina has a very good front seven. I mean, they have all their struggles, but that's one place that um, Muschamp has recruited well is on the defensive line. And, you know, they held their own against them and moved the ball and ran very well against those teams. So it's not like they haven't done it. Um, but, I mean, you just look at it and we just embarrassed them. I mean, there's that, that video of Malik Herring literally just smacking the crap out of the guy to the ground on one of their plays. I mean, we just – literally manhandled them and I, I think we took it to heart they were you know yeah our office line played like pretty poorly but all they talked about is how great their de- their line was and they were better in our defense line and they took that to heart and they went out there and suffocated that line I mean people of the country many people out there many college football fans were convinced that Tennessee's offensive line is one of the best in the country and I told you guys that was absurd it's not even close to reality and everyone saw that up close to personal on Saturday night. Were, were you surprised at all, though, Kurt, by the level of domination that our defensive line had against that Tennessee offensive line? It didn't because people don't give our defense line enough credit. They don't realize that, yes, we have 300-pound-plus guys like most teams do on the defense line, but our guys are athletic. Like, those suckers move. I mean, you see Jordan Davis chasing quarterbacks to the sidelines. Like, most 330-pound guys can't move like that. Jalen Carter at 305, I mean, that guy, that guy could be a – a fullback, you know, a realistically a really good fullback in the NFL or something like that. Like, our guys are big, but, man, they're athletic, and that's the big difference that you they get off the ball so much quicker And some of these O-lines that are huge. Like, you look at Tennessee, they're a big, strong offensive line. Well, we're big, but we're faster than most of them, so it didn't really shock me. Yeah, we're big, we're athletic, and we're also really deep. That might be the most important part of this, is we're so deep on the defensive line that we can roll these guys in and out. They can play at maximum effort every time they're in the game because they don't have to go 15, 20 plays at a time. They don't have to do that. We have guys that can roll in and out, and you really don't miss much of a beat. But I, I do think it's more about our defensive line. I think people saw – I think people realized our defensive line is really good, but when we do what we did to a Tennessee offensive line that was perceived to be as good as, as people think they are, now I, I don't – really think they're that good but that's the national perception so you heard Guarantano say it he's like you know we knew they were good at stopping the pass because you know we're kind of we're very experienced in the defensive backfield but he did they didn't expect us to shut the run down because people aren't giving our front seven the credit they truly deserve well I think, yeah they're not giving our front seven the credit it deserves I think now they will because again the, the Tennessee offensive line is perceived to be this great unit and we just absolutely destroyed them. I mean, minus one rushing yards, five sacks. And we're a, we're a team that doesn't really sack the quarterback all that often. I mean, I, when's the last time we had five sacks in a game? I have to go back and look that up. But can't remember off the top of my head. Hadn't been recent. But uh, look, this Tennessee offensive line also, it's just like they're not that good. They're okay. And now a big part of it was that we just made them look bad. But go back and look at the grades. Go back and watch the take guys. They're just really not all that good. Yes, Trey Smith is really good. He's an NFL player. Brandon Kennedy at center, he's pretty good. But Cade Mays is nowhere near what people make him out to be. Darnell Wright and Wayne Morris at, at tackle for them. I know they were both five stars coming out of high school, but Jesus, man, like those guys are garbage. I mean, the guy, the, our, 
Aziz, who for some reason got no SEC uh, love at the beginning of the season, um, absolutely whooped Wanya Morris's behind the entire time. I literally, there were times where they should have called hold against Sacks. Yeah, and I wasn't remotely surprised by that. I mean, just look at the grades from Saturday for this Tennessee offensive line. Darnell Wright, who's terrible, and, and, and I told you guys, Cade Mays is not an SEC right tackle, and they moved him inside and had him at guard once again. They had Darnell Wright at right tackle. Well, Darnell Wright's terrible. That's why Mays had to play out there to start the game against Missouri because Wright's awful. 49.4 grade on pro football focus for Darnell Wright. Cade Mays, 51.3. Even Trey Smith, who's a good player, 60.6. Morris, 44.9. A Cooper Mays, 54.9. I mean, we absolutely dominated them. Now, a big part of it is our defensive line just made tough on them, but that's all. Another part of it is the, that Tennessee offensive line is just overvalued. They I mean, just thinking about that one sack Adam Anderson had on Mays, like he just literally oh, just God. ran right by him. It wasn't like he did some special power move or, you know, just totally juked him, you know, stunted around him. No, he just flat out went right by him. And, and I, he might have gotten a finger or two on him, but that's the extent on that play that, that, that Mays was able to get on Anderson. There was, was no contest, not even close. Again, but it didn't surprise me. If you just watch the tape, like that should not surprise you if you actually actually sit down and watch Tennessee's offensive line play and watch our defensive front play. It shouldn't surprise anybody, but I know it did surprise a lot of people. But anyway, all right, let's move on, Kurt. So we ended up winning this one comfortably, obviously. So naturally, that might lead us to brush some of the issues we saw in the first half, kind of brush them under the rug. But those issues are still there. Brush one of their rug or not, they're still there. There are still concerns with this team, especially heading into Tuscaloosa to play a team the caliber of Alabama next week. So, Curtis, when you look at this team, what is your biggest concern right now? The offensive line has to start gelling. Um, I think that's the biggest thing to me, especially offensively. I think that's the root of the problem, especially in our run game when it's not going – when we're when we're clicking like against Auburn, I know they didn't have a great defensive line, and Tennessee had a better defensive line, but realistically, we still weren't gelling. Um, there's a lot. I felt like there's a lot of misassignments. Yeah, I definitely agree. Yes, Tennessee's defensive front is better than Auburn's defensive front, but that Tennessee defensive line is still nowhere near an elite unit. I mean, they were improved, yes, but it was kind of unacceptable at times what we were doing. Like, I mean, I know Henry Toa Toa is a really good linebacker, but we were literally letting him go unblocked half the time. It just wasn't good enough. Like, like it's good enough to beat Tennessee. It's good enough to beat Auburn. It's good enough to beat Arkansas. That kind of offensive line play is simply not good enough to beat Alabama. Like if we play like that next week, we are not we are not winning that game. In fact, we might we might get embarrassed if they play, if they play like that again. We might get embarrassed. But I'm with you, Curtis. Like we are 100 percent totally in agreement here. My, I have a, I, there are other concerns that I have. It's not the only concern I have. I mean, I know we got to. I have some concerns with the running backs, but I think part of that also goes into the offensive line. If you look last week against Auburn, when we were actually getting push. You know, our running back, Zeus, all of them weren't getting touched, so they're three or four yards down the field. This time we were getting stood up, and that was a big difference in the run game also. Yeah, absolutely. But I go back. Right now, I think we wanted the formula. We talked about this before. We wanted the formula this year offensively to be different. That's why you go and you bring in Todd Munkin with his background. That's why you go and you get Jamie Newman, and you go and get JT Daniels. You want to change things up. Kirby realized after last year – that we weren't good enough offensively to get over that final hurdle. Sure, we were good enough with the formula that we've been using since he got here to get close, to win an SEC title, to get within an eyelash of winning a national title. But the fact is, the margin for error with that style of offensive system and offensive scheme was just razor thin. And he realized, after watching LSU, watching Alabama's offensive all all of those years, that we needed to do something similar. It didn't have to be the exact same thing, but we couldn't just continue to run that same ground-and-pound pro-style attack 
without dynamic quarterback play because we were limiting ourselves. We were just limiting what we were able to do offensively. So yeah, you go out, you get a new coordinator, you try to go get a new quarterback, you try to make the offense a little bit more dynamic, you try to change the formula. But when you have the circumstances that we've had this offseason, when you have Jamie Newman, who is going to be the presumed starter, as Kirby actually admitted a couple weeks ago, which kind of blew me away because Kirby doesn't admit that kind of thing. But he's like, yeah, I brought the guy in to be the starter. That was the idea. So when he opts out and then JT Daniels isn't 100% healthy, he's clear, but maybe not 100% healthy, ready to play. Dewan Mathis, the guy who that you're really high on, his, his ceiling and what he can bring in terms of being a dynamic playmaker, but he's just maybe not quite ready to do that yet from a developmental standpoint, well, then what you're left with is Stetson Bennett. And with Stetson, you have to kind of revert back to that old formula because that's what Stetson is built to do. Is he a little bit of a better athlete than Jake Fromm? Sure, absolutely. We know that. But still, the fact remains, he's he's not Justin Fields. He's not that kind of dual threat guy. So we're reverting back to the formula of the past three or four years And that's fine, but if we're going to use that formula, it's so highly dependent upon elite offensive line play. And right now, we just simply don't have that. And you also have to have the playmakers around you as a quarterback go out there and make plays. You've got to have a Miko Hardman, a Javon Wims, a Riley Ridley, an Isaac Nauta. You have to have those guys ready to go make plays. And right now, we have a couple of them. We have George Pickens. Kiers Jackson's obviously shown to be that kind of playmaker. But then you have guys like Jermaine Burton and Marcus Rosemey, guys that are going to be really good. And I'm really high on what they can do. And our coaches seem to be really high on them because they're getting a lot of snaps out there. But the fact is, they're just not quite ready from a developmental standpoint to go out there and be major difference makers right now. Hopefully, they'll grow into that as the season progresses, but right now they're not there. But really, more than anything, if we're going to use that formula, we've got to have better offensive line play. Guys, we're going to face a better defensive line next week against Alabama than we did this week against Tennessee. In a couple weeks, Kentucky's defensive line is really good. Quinn Bohanna at nose guard is really, really good. Pascal is really good. We're going to face better defensive fronts. And if we're struggling right now with the first three defensive fronts that we faced, now Auburn, we didn't struggle as much. We played really well against them, but that defensive front is not very good. But if we're, if we're not able to really get consistent push, we're not able to consistently protect the quarterback, allow plays to develop down the field, if we can't do that right now, then how in the world are we going to be successful against Alabama and Kentucky and teams like that who have much better defensive fronts? And I'm not saying our offensive line cannot improve. I expect that they will. But right now, we just haven't seen it consistently yet. And one thing I also want to bring up, too, we were talking about the offensive line, is in the first half especially, it felt like we were back with the Coley and Cheney days where we were running on every first down and they were sitting on it knowing it. When we actually started opening it up, like, you know, we ran the wide receiver screen, threw the ball to Karras on first time. When we started doing things like that, all of a sudden our offense was clicking. So we can't – like, I know we can't expect Monk to be perfect all the time, but we can't always, you know, go through those stretches where we're running on first down too because then when they're stacking the boss like that – it is going to be difficult for our offensive line to get pushed and do things when the numbers just aren't there, especially when, like you mentioned, what Stetson's built to do and how the offense has to kind of go under him. You can't put yourself in that situation either. Yeah, I do agree with that. Look, I've always been a big proponent. I've said this many times on the show of throwing the ball on first down. you got to switch it up, especially with the defenses, the looks that we get from defenses, with them trying to stack the box on early downs historically. We, got, we have to throw the ball more on first down. Well, what I saw from this Tennessee defense was different than what I've seen from other defenses through Kirby Smart's tenure. They were playing with a too high safety shell most of the game. Occasionally, they would sneak a safety in the box, but that was not what they were doing 
by rule. Like they were not doing that as a rule on Saturday, which is very, very different than what we normally see. We usually see those safeties in the box, stack boxes. We're outnumbered in the box. They can take away the run. That's what we usually see. We see a lot of cover three, but we weren't seeing that. We were seeing a lot of split safety stuff, middle of the field open. And I, I think the reason we're seeing more of that is because they're trying to take away pickings. They need a safety over the top. And if you're playing middle of the field closed, uh, then that makes it tougher to be able to do that because somebody else is going to have man coverage on, on the other side. And so that, that's one of the reasons why Kiaris Jackson is being able to operate so successfully right now in the middle of the field. We're having some, some success with tight ends. It's because we're getting those split safety looks and the middle of the field is open. And then also when we see those split safety looks on early downs, like we saw against Tennessee a lot of that game, we're not outnumbered in the box. We should be able to run against those looks. I mean, there were a number of times, many times throughout that game, where we, they had six defenders in the box, we had six linemen to block. And we should be able to win more of those than we lose, but we didn't. And that's why I'm concerned. When we have equal numbers, we have got to win those matchups. Like we're outnumbered, that's one thing, all right? And that's what we saw all last year. That's not what we saw consistently against Tennessee on Saturday. That's concerning to me. When we have equal numbers in the box and we're still not consistently winning against an okay, pretty good, decent defense up front, that concerns me. Because, again, if our formula is going to be the same as it has been the past four years, we're going to have to find a way to run the football. We have seen what happens when we can't run the ball against better teams. And I really like what Stetson Bennett has been able to do for us. But right now, I don't have a ton of confidence in our passing game being able to go out there and win a game for us without a strong running game to work off of. I mean, Justin Schaefer was the only offensive lineman on the team on Saturday against Tennessee that graded out a corner pro football focus higher than a 64. And he was at a 72, so it's not like he had an incredible day and a solid day, but everyone else was 64 or below. And guys, we haven't even played the best defenses on our schedule yet. I know Alabama had their issues against Ole Miss on Saturday. I get that. Ole Miss is kind of doing it to everybody right now, though. But that Alabama defensive front is a lot better than what we've seen to this point. So, yeah, right now, the offensive line clearly is my biggest concern. And I, I don't know how much we can expect it to improve just magically over the next couple of weeks when we have some of these big-time games. you got Alabama, you got Kentucky, it's a really good defensive front. you got a bye week, and you, then you have the game against Florida. And we need this offensive line to gel, to improve, to grow up. We need to find the right mix, and we need all that to happen like now. We can't wait anymore. The season with it being condensed like this, we are about to hit the, the midseason run here, and we have got to be rolling on the offensive line. And right now, we just aren't, and that's concerning to me. All right, we've got a few more minutes left before we get out of here. So let's go ahead, Kurt. Let's hand out some game balls for the best performances of the week. These can be individual players, entire units, even coaches, whoever we think deserves recognition for their performance in the previous week's game. And Curtis, I'm going to let you start us off. Who is getting your first game ball this week? I'm going to go back with uh, K.R. Jackson for week two, in a, uh, you know, for the second week in a row. I'm going to have to give him a ball because he was definitely a difference maker on the offense. Yeah, four catches, 91 yards, his first career touchdown. Again, if, if we keep getting those split safety looks, which I think we're probably going to continue to get a heavy dose of those with how much teams, how many, how much defenses respect George Pickens. Kiaris is going to have a lot of room to operate in the slot. Our tight end is going to have some room to operate. We're going to have to continue to make teams pay. And right now, that's what they're doing. They're saying, all right, if we're going to dare you to beat us with Kiaris Jackson. And right now, that's happening. That's happening. And we'll see what Alabama chooses to do. Because right now, Pitts hasn't made a major impact, at least in terms of his statistics, like his catches, yards, touchdowns, all that. 
but he, he is having a massive impact on the game just by what his presence is forcing defenses to do from a schematic standpoint. That's opening things up for a guy like Kyrus Jackson. But to Kyrus's credit, he's definitely stepping up and making plays when they are there to be made. All right, for me, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go off the field. I'm gonna go Todd Munkin. And you're right, Curtis. He's not perfect. Every call is not going to be perfect. No offensive coordinator calls a perfect game. But I think when you look at what Todd Munkin is working with right now, a guy at quarterback who you probably anticipated being like your fourth or fifth string quarterback coming into the season, and right now he's your starter. Stetson was not getting reps the ones. We were not preparing our offense to fit Stetson Bennett's skill set during preseason camp. He's doing that on the fly right now. And no, it hasn't necessarily been perfect. The offense certainly has not been a well-oiled machine. But I think without Todd Munkin, we would be in really bad shape right now offensively. And there are certainly issues, but I do think he has helped us minimize some of those issues. We have an offensive line that's not really working well right now. We have a couple young receivers that are probably among the most talented receivers on the team, but they're just not quite there yet from a developmental standpoint. So when you put all that together, you've got... A new quarterback who you probably didn't anticipate being your your top quarterback this year. Almost certainly did not anticipate that. And yeah, he's more athletic than Jay Fromm was. But from like a physical tool standpoint, he's probably the least physically gifted of all the quarterbacks on your roster. You have an offensive line that's not consistently getting movement up front. They're not consistently protecting the quarterback very well. Now that quarterback has done a good job escaping pressure and making things happen on the move, but the offensive line has still not protected him very well. You have a bunch of receivers, young receivers, that are going to be really good. They're really talented, but they're just not quite there yet. But yeah, he's still finding a way for this offense to make it work. And no, we haven't played great defenses yet. I'm not sitting here saying that we have. But just watching some of the things that we're doing offensively and watching what Todd Munkin is doing, trying to create favorable matchups, trying to create space for receivers, in-game adjustments, which is something that, God, for so many years that killed us. Jim Chaney, right? Tennessee's offensive coordinator. Outstanding game plan. Does a great job putting together a game plan, but really struggled when it came to in-game adjustments once the defensive coordinators adjusted to what his game plan was. As good as it might be, when they adjust, you have to be able to adjust on the fly as well. Chaney struggled with that. And obviously, Coley was just a disaster on almost all fronts. But I've been really impressed with what Todd Munkin has been able to do from an in-game adjustment standpoint. Just a quick little anecdote here, just one small little example. So early in the game against Tennessee, there was one play where the Tennessee defensive end just really pinches hard, slashes hard inside of Jamari Salyer, makes a play on a run play that was for about a, a half a yard gain. All right, well, Todd Munkin saw that. He saw how they were playing that. So he put that into his back pocket, and then a drive or two later, he pulls out the toss to that same side where that same defensive end was. He crashes inside again, and I think it was Kenny McIntosh with that 11 or 12-yard gain. Just small little things like that, adjusting the fly, seeing what they're doing defensively, what they're trying to take away from us, and figuring out a plan moving forward to attack that. Todd Munkin is doing a really good job, guys. I know we're not putting up five, 600-plus yards a game like we were all hoping we would with this new offense, but... I think if you consider what he's working with right now, when this is really an offense that all its parts are still very much on the assembly line. Now, if we can get those parts put together and get and become a finished product, then man, this offense could really be humming. Hopefully that happens before the end of the season. We're certainly a ways away from that, but we just have to continue to keep improving, continue to get better. But I've been really impressed with what Mungan's been able to do from a game plan standpoint, from an in-game adjustment standpoint, from a schematic standpoint. I really like what I've seen. I think the future is very bright with him running this offense. All right, Kurt, who gets your second game ball? I just want to say the linebackers as a whole put the outside and inside together. I thought 
they completely dominated that game. I know the defensive line helped them, but the outside linebackers, yeah, we started drawing up some good blitzes and things like that to get the inside linebackers some plays, like the one where Monty got the strip sack. But I thought the outside linebackers did a great job of creating pressure just without doing anything special, but just going right at the guys. I mean, Aziz was just literally ripping right through uh, Wanye and Anderson, I thought, did a great job of getting pressure, too. Those guys are becoming everything we wanted them to be last year. I think maybe we were a year ahead of them. Like last year, we thought they could be that, but right now they are being what we thought they could be last year. Again, you're, like you said earlier, Chris, this is still that without Jermaine Johnson. Yeah, he played against Arkansas, but he hasn't played the past two games. Zizo Jolari's playing at a, at a different level than he did last year. He's played really well since he got here, but he's playing, he's playing at a different level right now. Nolan Smith's playing a lot better than he did last year. Adam Anderson has become just a monster. I mean, I, right now, like, he might be our most impactful defender, at least on third downs. Well, I, mean, well, I would say Jordan Davis is probably our most impactful defender, what he's able to do helping us shut the run down and making teams one-dimensional. But when you get to third down, Adam Anderson is a problem for people. I mean, you, you mentioned what he did to Cade Mays. I mean, I, Cade might have gotten a pinky on him. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, he, the outside linebackers are just playing lights out right now. Inside linebackers, you're right, Kurt, they're playing really well. It's, I, I I had outside linebackers on my list, but inside linebackers, they're playing really well. I thought Quay Walker had a really big game. In that fourth down stop, it was both inside linebackers. Monty shot the gap and stood it, and Quay just came and cleaned it up and just smacked him back, gave him no chance to come forward. And so it was all three inside linebackers. I know Tyndall played well when he got some time, but starting group did, get, you know, best on best, I thought – all three inside linebackers came to play also, you know, they, um, cause Chaney, one big thing he does is like to get the running backs, the ball out of the backfield and things like that. And we completely shut down their, you know, drop offs. Yeah, I agree. All right. My second game ball, I'm going to give it to Devonte Wyatt. He's a guy that I feel like kind of gets lost in the shuffle with all the recognition that we throw around guys like Jordan Davis and the outside linebackers, all those guys. But Devontae Wyatt, man, he, he very quietly just plays so well game in, game out. He gives us great interior pass rush. He's strong at the point of attack. He's athletic. Talk about, we talk, you, you were mentioning earlier, Carson, the athletic on, on the defensive front. Devontae Wyatt is that personified. I mean, this guy does not get any national recognition whatsoever, but he, or he deserves it, man. This guy is earning it. And he probably won't get it. That's fine, whatever. But this guy is playing lights out. Yeah, Jordan Davis is a monster. Jordan Davis is probably the key to the entire defense. But Devontae Wyatt playing alongside him, is playing lights out right now. I agree. He, I mean, he was – as good as Jordan Davis was Saturday, Devontae was one that I, I felt like if anything was getting done at the line of scrimmage, you looked up and he was involved. Yeah, he's disrupted, man. He's a problem. He's a problem for teams right now. So he's just one of many problems that we that we pose on that defensive front. But he's a guy – I want to I give him some love. I could easily say Jordan Davis. I could say, really could say anyone on that defensive front. But I, I just feel like Wyatt doesn't get the praise. So I want to give him a game ball here today. All right, Kurt, who's your third game ball going to? Um, this guy kind of gets a cheer and a jeer. Um, I'm going to go with Trey Hill just because I got to give him some credit for that hustle. How big was that hustle where Burton fumbles it and Hill came was, you know, running down there like Lyman should and caught the ball and ended up gaining a couple yards. But I just got to give him some credit for that hustle. You know, he had the bad snap, but he didn't let it carry out through the rest of the game. The snap was terrible. Um, I, was going off for about five minutes at least. I mean, into like the next two drives, I just, I was just screaming absurdities, saying things I should never say. My poor wife was sitting there with this, just like an alarm look on her face. And she knows kind of how I get sometimes, but I just, I get, I just, I'm, I'm so over the snapping issues. It's a problem. It, it easily could have cost us that game. Uh, Tennessee wasn't good enough for it to actually cost us a game against a team like Alabama. Yeah, that can cost you a game. And we've been saying that that was going to happen for, I guess a year and a half. And now. it doesn't. It wasn't just that one snap. He had a lot of snaps too that took timing off. 
Yeah, absolutely. So that that was terrible. But I do want to. I also want to make sure and point out, as you did, Curtis, what he did well. That that was a heck of a hustle play. I mean, that's a big time play. So I want to get. And, and Trail's not a disaster. It's just the snapping. Like when you're the center, like it's kind of important. To, I don't know, be able to snap the ball. I thought it was kind of a bad look too that this happened. Like I believe it, he was interviewed this week as one of the people, and he talked about how you know he knows as a center he's got to snap the ball first to get the snaps down. Yeah. Got to. He, and I think at this point it might have gotten into his head, which is a no, whole nother problem when you're thinking about it. It's just, no, that's not good. It's not good. But anyway, my third and final game ball is going to go to Kendall Milton. I know he didn't have a massive impact on the game, but he was our leading rusher, 56 yards rushing on only eight carries. I think this guy is earning more and more carries. Yes, he's got to keep control of the ball. You cannot put the ball on the ground. He's a freshman. Hopefully, hopefully that's a, a learning moment for him. And it's good to be able to get that out of the way in a game where you're still winning comfortably. But I thought this guy is playing really well. The way he's bouncing off people is very Nick Chubb-esque to me, just the way he moves and looks out there, honestly. So I think this – I'm very high on what Kendall Milton will be able to do for this running attack, maybe as early as this year. I think the guy has earned carries, definitely. And, the, you know, you talk about Nick Chubb. The one – the whole time we've been talking about him, I've always said I thought about him as a Derrick Henry type, and that's exactly how he's running, that big body. That once he gets going, it's hard to bring him down, and the people people just bounce off him because he's so strong. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, the, the way he's just running through people, it's it's highly impressive. So he definitely gets my game ball there, Kurt. And we got just a couple more minutes here. Finally, while we strongly prefer the positive, unfortunately, there are always a few performances that don't quite measure up. So we got to throw a couple flags on some of the worst performances of the weekend. Curtis, who are you throwing a flag on? Well, I know he doesn't play – or he's not part of our program, but I got to throw a flag on Jeremy Pruitt for looking like E.T. out there with that mask. What was that? I don't even know. I mean, it's funny because uh, Kirby Smart made the comment how Greg Sankey, you know, kind of talked to him that he had to wear his mask more. And then you have Pruitt out there who's wearing a headdress that doesn't even cover his face. I, I, I'm at a loss for what he was trying to accomplish there. Like, I, I don't I don't really know. Like, I just, I even asked my wife, I was like, honey, you're smarter than me. Like, what is, is this, like, do people wear these things like that? She's like, I don't know what this man's doing. And I was, I don't either. I don't either. But yeah, I, I, that's a good one. That's a good first one there, Curtis. For me, I'm going to go, there's a, I'm going to, we only have a couple minutes here. So I'm going to go real quick. I'm going to throw all mine out and Curry, you can kind of just react to them. DJ Daniel, number one, out of position on that touchdown pass. Uh, that, look, I know, I know that Tyson Campbell also got beat on a play, but Campbell was in great position. It was just an incredible throw, incredible catch. Sometimes teams, and other players make plays. DJ Daniel was out of position. And Kurt, you you pointed this out last week. You were texting me during the Auburn game. You asked me, like, what, what am I worried about DJ Daniel? Because there were some plays that he was beat against Auburn, and they just didn't convert. This week, they did convert. So for me, I got to go, throw a flag there. Right now, Tyson Campbell doesn't need to come off the field, and I think Eric Stokes is better than DJ Daniel. So in case – unless somebody gets hurt, I, I'm not sure I feel comfortable DJ Daniel being out there right now. That's two weeks in a row where he's – Especially against Alabama, who's very explosive. Yeah, it's concerning. Yeah, absolutely very concerning when you're, when you're staring Alabama in the face coming up here next week with what they do in the passing game and all the receivers they've got. He played really well for us last year, but, man, these past few games, I, I've had some concerns. Obviously, George Pickens has got to get better – with his maturity yeah that really pissed me off george i mean first off because you put yourself in a situation where he is a loud mouth and could easily have gotten another personal foul and been ejected so that was a big deal to me but just also the fact that like you just can't be that stupid you just you can't like and this is not the first time with george it's the first time he scored a water in an opponent's face on the sideline i just like i i couldn't believe i that i saw what i saw i'm like what what like 
what? What are you doing? But that's kind of – I guess that's, that's what you get with George Banks. He's still trying to grow up. Kirby's doing his best with him, man. But we got he's got to cut that stuff out completely. And I do actually want to throw one more flag. And I know this is going to sound crazy to some of you because I don't criticize Kirby Smart a ton because I think he's done an incredible job building this program back to elite status in a very short amount of time. And he's got us on the precipice of winning a national title if we can ever actually figure out this whole offensive thing. So I think he's the best thing to happen to this football program in a long, long, long time. But that doesn't mean that he is above reproach. And I know that he's gotten a lot of heat over the years for in-game decisions, in-game calls, those kind of things that head coaches have to make, whether it's a fake punt in the SEC title game or whatever it might end up being. I know he's gotten a lot of heat for that. And I've typically refrained from criticizing him for those things because, honestly, I just didn't have that big of an issue with it. I know it's still a hot-button topic all these years later for some people. It's a it's something that triggers people when you mention the fake punt with Justin Fields in the 2018 SEC title game. But I, I don't necessarily hate the call. I see it as being aggressive. I mean, Nick Saban, the guy who is pretty universally thought of as the greatest college football coach of all time these days, and that's how pretty much everyone views him. I mean, an onside kick in the national title game against Clemson to help you win that game, if it works, you're a genius. Like, people think he is. If it doesn't work, you're, you're an absolute moron. And I think... Kirby made similar decisions that were very aggressive in big games, and they just happened to not work out through execution, look at the draw, whatever it is. Football gods, I don't know. They just didn't work out for Kirby Smart, but I don't necessarily have an issue with the call, but I know we're getting off topic here. Let me bring this back. Bottom line is, I know that there are people out there who have criticized and are still critical of some of his in-game decisions as a head coach. I personally have refrained from criticizing him for most of those decisions because I didn't really disagree with him at least some of the more high-profile ones that he gets criticized for. And I know that's not a popular thing to say, and I'm in the minority, but that's just kind of where I am on that. But I did have an issue with one of his decisions in the first half. He went for on fourth and one, fourth and inches, two different times in the first half. We did not get it either time. I had no issue whatsoever with him going for it on fourth and one from the one-yard line, from the half-yard line, whatever it was, right before the half. I have no issue with that whatsoever. In fact, I think the only time you should kick a field goal from the one-yard line when it's fourth and one is if you're down to the last drive, the last play of the game, and a field goal from the one-yard line puts you ahead and you win the game. I think that's about the only time you could a field goal from the one-yard line, as far as I am concerned. And what kind of, I mean, you have to think about this, guys. What kind of message does it send to your team when you don't go for it from the one-yard line? Kirby alluded to that in his press conference. I totally, 100% agree with him there. You go for it 100 times out of 100 unless, again, you're the last play of the game, last drive of the game, and a field goal from the one-yard line wins you the game. Then you kick it. Otherwise, no, you go for it. But I did have an issue with a fourth and one call where he went for it earlier in the first half. He went for it from our own 36-yard line. We're up 14-7 to with seven minutes to go in the first half. I think that was very ill-advised. There's there's certainly something to be said about being aggressive. I think there's a fine line there with aggression and recklessness. And with as well as our defense played in that game and was playing at that point, at that point we had not given up any points defensively. Yes, they had seven points. That was because of the horrible snap over Stetson's head that ends up being a touchdown on the first drive of the game. The defense had not given up any points. Tennessee was not really moving the ball. They weren't really threatening us. 
So we go for it there, and I'm not sure why, honestly. I don't know what that was going to give us. We're up 14-7 at that point. Our offense wasn't really setting the world on fire, but our defense is playing lights out because that's what our defense does. If you get it there, like, what is the benefit, okay? Even if you get it, now it's first and 10 from your own 37-yard line. Like, that did not set up a score. Like, if it's, let's say you're on the Tennessee 36-yard line, and it's fourth and one, and if you get a first down there, you're very much in scoring position, whether it's going to be a field goal or a touchdown, like you're in scoring range. But at our own 36, okay, yeah, one yard, now it's first and 10 from our own 37. That doesn't set up an imminent score of any kind. I just, I think when you do a, a cost-benefit analysis there, I think the cost vastly outweighed the potential benefits. And the cost was, if you don't get it, you give Tennessee some momentum. They didn't really have much momentum. They did seize momentum at the very beginning of the game with that touchdown when we snapped the ball over Stetson's head. But we did a pretty good job putting that fire out. We had taken the lead 14-7. And if they get the stop there, which they did, then they all of a sudden retake the momentum. Now all of a sudden, they are in scoring range. And what do they do on the very first play of the ensuing drive? They take a vertical shot down the field, hit a touchdown. Now the game is tied. There is no reason for that to happen. Now, I know you trust your defense. Even if you don't get there, I think that's probably what was going through. It says like, hey, you know, our defense is playing really well. They're not really doing anything offensively. Even if we don't get this, I trust the defense to stop them. But all it takes, if you put them at the 36-yard line, first and 10, after getting a, a huge defensive stop on fourth and one, all it takes is one big momentum play offensively, and now the game is tied, and they have taken the momentum from you right before the half, which is exactly what ended up happening there. I just don't think the potential benefit of getting a first down there outweighed the cost of giving Tennessee a chance to score and take back the momentum, which is exactly what ended up happening there. So I am going to be a little bit critical of Kirby there. I just don't think that was the right decision. I get wanting to be aggressive. I get wanting to send the right message to your team. But if you also think about your offensive line hasn't been playing particularly well, they haven't really been moving much of anyone. Why do we think that we're going to get that one yard? I know Kirby is an old school kind of guy, at least in some ways. He still has that old school mentality. He thinks that you should be able to line up with your offensive line and get a yard. Because he even said the press conference, well, Tennessee was able to do it. We should be able to do it. Yeah, I get that, Kirby. But you can't make decisions based on the idea, well, Tennessee was able to do it, so that means we should be able to do it. Like You just can't make decisions that way. You have to be measured, which he usually is. And everything he does, he's so calculated, so measured. But I, I think he got a little ahead of himself on this particular call. And I think, honestly, if he had to do it over again, I think he probably would have made a different call. Now, fortunately, we were able to get away with it and it didn't cost us the game. It hurt us in that moment, but we were the better team. In the second half, we were able to completely take control of that game. But if you're playing a better team, if you're playing Alabama and you do that, that could absolutely cost you the game. I know I keep saying that, but that, that that's what we're looking at this week, guys. We're looking at Alabama, one of the best teams in the country. You can't get away with that kind of stuff. So it's not just the players that have to execute better and perform better. Sometimes the coaches have got to, have got to take responsibility and make better decisions in-game as well. But all right, guys, that does it for us today here on the Glory UJ Podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening to and supporting the podcast. We will be back in the next day or two with the week four mailbag show. So we've already got a ton of questions. If you have a question you haven't sent it in yet, you can send those to us on Twitter at glory underscore UGA, or you can also email them to us at gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And we will try to get to as many of the questions as we possibly can. 
We're getting like a record number of questions so far this season each week. And we normally get a lot of questions. I mean, even during the offseason, we usually have to break it into two different parts so we get so many questions. But we're getting a record number of questions the past couple weeks. So we're going to try to get as many of them in as we possibly can. In the past, we, we try to make sure we get to every single question. But that's just not humanly possible with all the questions that we're getting right now. But still, send your question in. We're, we're trying to spread out the love as much as we possibly can. But get those into us, and we'll try to cover as many of them as we can here in the next day or so. Later in the week, we'll also have our official Georgia-Bama game preview show. That should be a lot of fun. And then, of course, we will wrap it all up at the end of the week with our picks of the week. So, got a lot of great stuff to look forward to the rest of the week. But thanks again, guys. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>